The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Good morning, my name is John Addis. I'm the editor and founder of Intelligent Investor. And this morning I have with me here to eat some pizza is James Carlyle. How are you doing, James? Great, thanks, John. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I do remember a story about Domino's Pizza from way back when a fund manager called Wayne Jones, who was uh, uh, part of the business in the early days, he was telling me about being in a store in Brisbane and the phone ringing for a takeaway order. And he saw Don May, the, the CEO and then CEO of Domino's Pizza, actually answer it and take this order. There aren't many CEOs who would work in the call center, but that's effectively what he was doing. Is it that that makes this business a bit different from the other Domino's Pizza franchises around the globe? Yeah, I absolutely think it is. I think it was almost instinctive, actually, is, is how I remember that story myself. Is, is you know, it's like the phone went and he just like you know um, grabbed it because um, I think that is absolutely a point of difference. The, the it's an incredibly well managed business, and you can really see why because it has so many stores. Um, uh, what is it? Three three odd thousand stores. And uh, and they all have managers, and the best managers go on to manage several stores, and then several more stores, and then eventually the the best managers get promoted into, you know, corporate uh, roles, and then regional uh, executive roles. Um, and Don May started off with a with a little pizza shop of his own up in um, up in Queensland, and then uh, you know built that into several, and then he. Um, I forget the exact details of the story, but he then got the Domino's franchise for Australia and then sort of started building around that. And so it's the sort of a sort of survival of the fittest of, uh, of, of management and specifically of pizza shop management. And, uh, and so they all, the, the, the best ones rise to the top. And when you listen to them on conference calls and things like that um, and see them making the presentations, they, the detail they go into... I mean, look, I'm sure management's all around the world um, go into this level of detail, but it, it just, their love of it, their love of shaving minutes off, off delivery times. I think it's... Uh, obsessive. One, 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 it's, it is obsessive. One, one minute of delivery time, I think they reckon equals about 50 cents of cost on a, on a pizza delivery. Wow. And so, you know, you're dealing with a few dollars of gross margin. That's, the, you know, that's really significant. And they're mm. absolutely laser focused on driving that down and on and on answering the call, you know, a minute's delay or then the phone hangs up and you've lost an order and that person then won't order ever again and he won't this, tell his friends to. This does point to, I think, the, the key difference with Domino's and the sector it operates in. This is an incredibly competitive field. And yet Domino's has managed to build this global business with that kind of mentality. Is it, it is that that makes that this this business really stand out in a highly competitive sector, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, obviously restaurants are extremely competitive, but they they have their they have advantages as well because pizza is probably the um, the supreme delivery food. You know, as long as you've got that little plastic thing in the middle that keeps the lid off your pizza, it's yeah. very, very easy to deliver it in 
perfect condition. That's right. Um, okay. As long as you can get it there quickly, you know, it's all about quickness. I mean, so 10 minutes does, doesn't just mean uh, not keeping a customer waiting. It means that the customer gets a piping hot, um, you know, uh, crispy pizza instead of a soggy one. And so all these little differences make, makes all the difference, but but it, it's they've got the perfect sort of canvas on which to work their their management skills, if you like, because this, this, the, the little things make, make huge differences. Mm, that's right. So can we talk about the the global structure of this business and how it relates to the, the the global HQ, which I believe is in the US. What what is the structure of Domino's Pizza Enterprises in Australia? Well, it's a, it's a um, it's a master franchisee. So, that, or is it a submaster? I, I, look, there's there's the, the the head company Domino's, which then gives franchises out to sort of regions, and then within mm. those regions. Um, they give out franchises. So there's a franchise for Japan. There's a franchise for Taiwan. Um, there's a fr- franchises in Europe, France, Germany. I mean, these are the regions for Domino's, um, Benelux, Denmark. So that covers the, the um, geographic spread. And, and each of those uh, countries or regions has a master franchise. Um, and so Domino's are paying royalties up to Domino's U.S., Mm-hmm. For the right to use the Domino's brand, and and a bit of support around um, various things. I think there's probably a global marketing budget. I can't couldn't tell you about that, um, but that that's the support it gets from head office, and it pays for that through a royalty on sales. And then within, say, uh, Australia, each store operates as a franchise. You might have several stores um, in a franchise, and these sub franchisees. Uh, sign up a sub franchise document with the with the master franchisee in in or, or, you know whatever they're called in in, in Australia, mm-hmm. and they then pay I think it's seven percent of sales to to Domino's um, Australia, um, who then pay a percent or two of that to up up the chain to to the US, yeah, um, and they also contribute I think it's six percent to a marketing fund. Uh, a sort of joint marketing fund, which it's just an easier way of of Domino's to give comfort to the franchisees that the money they're contributing there is actually going on on growing their sales. That's I think from a marketing perspective, and I think Domino's just does an excellent job with their leafleting and TV ads. It's important to understand that when you're investing, say, in a a television commercial campaign, the more stores you've got the more you can amortize that expense over your network. So density is quite an important thing in this business from a marketing point of view, isn't it, James? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a question of scale, isn't it? Because yeah. um, the, the one TV ad covers a, a whole city or a whole region or whatever it is, and, and it only, you only have to make it once. Um, if you only had one pizza store, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be worthwhile even to do it. Um, but if you've got hundreds or thousands, then, uh, then it um, – you know, you, you get the huge benefit from it. Mm. And in, we upgraded this stock in August 2019. It was James Greenhouse who, who spotted the opportunity there at about $37. And in that review, and I think for members interested in this company, it's worth going back and having a look at it. When he talks about how, you know, you see these very, very small stores. And we spoke about a Levisa with Gorov a few days ago. It's kind of like that. You know, you have this very, very small store, but the throughput is huge. An average store in the high street sells about $1.4 million worth of pizza. 
garlic bread a year. Uh, and if it's doing well, it makes about $130,000 a year. So this is something where you really need scale to make this business work because the margins aren't great. So those small differences that you can, you can imp- the small differences you make in your operations can really have a big impact on profitability. Yeah, that's right. And, and the scale helps in, in a bunch of other ways as well. And this is really um, what they describe as their fortressing strategy. So um, the fortressing is, uh, is a strategy whereby they basically try to fill in the gaps between store, you know, gaps in their store network where they can't deliver as quickly as they would like to. Um, and they, so they'll fill in that gap. Which which cannibalizes sales in the first instance from uh, from the nearby stores, um, but really it was an it, it was in an area which was being perhaps poorly covered by those other stores. So, you know, the profits were marginal because the run times for delivery were too high, um, and people weren't getting great pizza, so their experience wasn't good. So you put a new store in there, mm-hmm. and it creates its own demand because people see the brand, they see it on the high street, you see it walking past, you're much more likely to order a pizza if there's a Domino's um, at the end of your street than than if you haven't, you know, if you never if you never see it. Yeah. Uh, and the delivery costs are much lower, um, and the, the the product and the service is much better, much quicker. Um, and so it creates its own demand. Um, and, and again, it's, it's all about that scale and uh, increasing the store density. Um, and, you know, gives, gives you, um, more revenue, uh, to play off those, um, uh, an, there's an element of fixed costs, you see, which is, which mm-hmm. is the market we're talking about before, yeah. but also, um, each store has a, a fixed cost in setting it, setting it up and all that. So when you look at Australia and New Zealand, I think there's 8,900 stores now, which is quite a lot, uh, but they still expect to expand that to about 1,200 for the reasons that you state by splitting territories. But the real growth in this in this operation is international. So let's just talk about where Don May has expanded into and what new geographies they've got under their umbrella. Well, um, probably the biggest opportunity is um, is in Europe. Well, uh, look, Europe and Japan, but Japan's a, bit, a little bit different. We'll come on to that perhaps. But um, I mean, just as an example, the, the so so the population of of uh, the population of the country per store of the region served per store is about thirty five thousand in Australia and New Zealand, yeah. um, and by comparison, it's about fifty five thousand uh, in the US. Yeah. So um, and and that's a, a it's a little bit thinner there I think probably because the population is a bit more broadly spread. Um, in Europe, it's more like one hundred and fifty thousand people per store. So you could see you know to get down to the American uh, level, you could have three times as many stores, and uh, to get to the Australian level, you'd have four or five times as many stores. And they 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 believe there's still room to to add more stores in Australia and New Zealand. So that's a a huge opportunity there in Europe. Japan is similar. Um, mm-hmm. The problem with Japan, I suppose, is there are there is a, I mean, there are some of the, some cultural barriers, really, to the pizza product in Japan, mm-hmm. which probably don't exist in Europe. Europe uh, Europeans are sort of quite fussy about their food, but they're well they're well um, versed in in pizza, aren't they? Yeah. Whereas Japan, it's it's seen as being a bit of a novelty type of item. 
and they use it particularly for um, big occasions. So it's children's birthday parties and it's um, big gatherings um, to celebrate public holidays, um, sort of Christmas, um, Golden Week holiday is another one. Um, and uh, so, you know, big gatherings, um, but they're relatively sparse. And of course, they're happening hugely concentrated blocks. So you have a, a mad rush for a week and then you go quiet for six um, and that makes it quite difficult to, to run the business. So in Japan, what they're really trying to do is um, change cultural attitudes and, and teach people that pizza can be an option for when you get home from work and you're tired and you don't want to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be a bit more of a challenge. Um, they won those customers, incidentally, during during COVID, which was, and that's roughly what the article that's just published is, is talking about, because they've been raking over the coals of what went wrong in Japan towards the end of last year. Um, they won a lot of those individual single meal sort of customers last year. Uh, sorry, during COVID, for obvious reasons, because people were staying at home, but they just fell off a cliff uh, um, in the aftermath when the restrictions were lifted last October. Um, I think people people celebrated by going out to restaurants and um, there were the pizza was not on the menu for a little bit. And so, you know, these are problems they're, they're having to overcome in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, they've switched to, they've put a few healthier items. You'll see salads and soups on the menu in Japan, which you won't yeah. have here, and yeah. uh, <laughs> um, which don't travel so well. So that plays against, um, yeah. you know, their, their, strengths. Their, their strengths in a way. But they're just trying to get people to understand that it, it can make a sort of a, a balanced meal. They're too, too healthy, the Japanese. Maybe that's the problem. It's, it's a very, I, I suspect it's going to be a difficult market for them long term because even if you just go into the local store on the corner, you know, the convenience store, the quality of the sashimi and sushi just in the supermarket is quite amazing. Yeah, so and that's you, a product which travels pretty well as well. And, and that, that travel, travels really well. So I can see why it's difficult, but... They're still kind of making a go of it, though. They they seem to be doing pretty well. The store network's expanding, um, but really, the well, go on. Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, well, it's an it's an opportunity as well, isn't it? You see, so mm. the fact that they're um, so focused um, on this, or not focused, but but you know, the customer, I suppose, is so focused on the on these sort of occasions. It does give them that big opportunity of just even if they can get a little bit into the towards the sort of uh, maybe the family meal market instead of the yeah. individual meal. Um, yeah. So they, they, there's a big opportunity there to grow if they can tap into a little bit of that. And if anyone's going to do it, I'd back Domino's too. So let's talk now about Europe. Um, one of the, one of the um, misconceptions I think about France is that yeah, it's very a very food driven culture, but. They really love their takeaway food. I think the penetration of McDonald's in France is is higher than almost anywhere else in Europe, and and it seems as though Domino's has a plan to to become another kind of McDonald's in in France and Germany. How's that going? It's going pretty well. I mean, it, it, it's um, Germany particularly. France was a bit more disrupted by COVID in the last couple of years, mm. but I think I mean you mentioned. Uh, McDonald's there, but really that's a takeout market, isn't it? it just doesn't yeah. deliver so well, and um, and again, so that's really where the pizza shines in, in delivery, and that's where it's seeing all the growth, and uh, and I think I, I would expect that to grow pretty well in in France, Germany, um, Benelux. These are countries very familiar with uh, with pizza, very very busy, <laughs> and very uh, very very familiar with ordering food um, and and delivery. 
Yeah. So they, they have a target, I think, approaching 3,000 stores for the European network by 2028. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, Twenty. Tw- the the targets are man- mostly expressed as by twenty twenty five to twenty 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 thirty three, I think. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I'll take your word for it. I can't remember the exact number, but they're they're certainly expecting to grow um, significantly. I mean, the global uh, footprint is expected. They just repeated the other day at nine nine to twelve percent a year for the next three to five years, anyway. And the global the global footprint, I should say, they're they're planning to double, um, but that, but that will be sometime by sometime between twenty twenty five to twenty thirty three. I think we can presume that it'll be at the later end of that. Although, of course, they're they're always looking at, at acquisitions, so it would not be a surprise at all to see. I mean, they acquired Taiwan in uh, August last year, and it would not be a surprise to see them buying up uh, franchises in uh, in some other regions elsewhere. Yeah. Okay, uh, we, let's now get to valuation, James, because Domino's is back on the buy list. Uh, when we recommended it back in 2019, I think it was about $37 a share. Uh, it went kind of crazy after after then, has, has come back significantly since. Uh, just give us the reasons, give us the arguments for why this stock is back on the buy list now. Well, um, because it, it got cheap enough, essentially. Um, last year, the st- it got up to hundred, maybe $160 at one point. It was yeah. really quite extraordinary because of this excitement. It looked for a time as though they'd cracked this single meal sort of market in Japan. Japanese sales were going through the roof. Um, it turns out that was mostly a mirage due to, due to COVID restrictions. But, uh, but they have ended up with a slightly better position in Japan. They have ended up with um, higher sales there, more customers than they had before the pandemic. So, you know, the position is improved, but it's not nearly as as, as good as it was, as, as people had thought it was going to be um, in the middle of last year. So that's really why the price has come back. It's And so it gets to a point where, where it's attractive to buy. Um, Earnings are likely to fall this year, really mainly because of that hiccup um, in Japan mm-hmm. and uh, some pressure on sales in some of the European markets, France particularly. So, uh, so the P for for the price earnings ratio for this year's earnings probably a little bit over thirty still, um, but we think that's coming firmly down into the twenties over the next couple of years, and uh, over time it's a business that we expect to grow um, at least in the double digits. And the, and the share price really has come back a long way since those highs of the pandemic highs of around 160. It's now less well, It's come than back a long way that. since since we upgraded. That's <laughs> so, right. That's I, right. Mean, it's, it, I mean, look, this is the this is the trouble being a value investor, isn't it? You see the value, but um, you know the market quite happy to keep keep selling something after after that. So look, it, it's it's got a good bit cheaper since then. We upgraded about 185 dollars. Um, and it's now about just a bit below 65. So it looks like a good opportunity. It is going through a tricky spot. Well, it has been going through a tricky spot in Japan. The future in Japan particularly is un- under a bit of a cloud, I suppose. Um, but there's a great opportunity in Europe. And going back to how we started, you know, if this the, ma- the management depth within Domino's is, is, is so good. I, I, if anyone can pull this off, I would, I would back them. That's the argument, and it looks as though the history with this stock that we've had over the past few years, there are opportunities to buy on bad news, and Japan and the problems they had there uh, since come to light. 
is one of those occasions. Uh, it's great to be able to talk about one of these stocks and our best best 10 growth businesses that is on the buy list right now. So thanks very much, James. That was an excellent overview of the company and we hope members enjoyed it. Thank you. Pleasure.